I'm Kelly Llewellyn. And I'm Greg Homme. And this is Caveman and Counselor. So, hey, once again, welcome to Caveman and Counselor, the podcast that delves into the world of mental health and recovery. Hosted by behavioral health therapist Kelly Llewellyn and me, Greg Homme, your advocate for behavioral health. In today's episode, we'll discuss a deeply sensitive topic, sexual trauma in young boys. We understand this subject can be triggering and may not be suitable for everyone. We want to provide a safe space for discussion, but we urge you to proceed with caution and prioritize your well-being. This podcast is meant for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide direct help or replace professional advice. If you or someone you know is struggling, we encourage you to seek the guidance of a qualified professional. You know, sexual trauma can have really long-lasting effects on individuals and their relationships. Um, It's crucial to shed light on this topic and to foster understanding. It's just not talked about enough. Boys who experience sexual traumas are at increased risk for developing various mental health conditions, along with post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse issue, along with physical ailments as well. Today, we have the privilege of welcoming Carol Teitelbaum, MFT. She's a therapist who specialized in working um, with trauma, and she helped to start the It Happens to Boys 2 movement out here in our area. She's going to help guide us through this sensitive topic, and she's brought with her Daniel, who volunteered to courageously share his story um, of healing from sexual trauma in childhood. We hope to provide valuable insights for survivors, their loved ones, and mental health professionals alike. So if you're someone who's experiencing sexual trauma or a mental health professional working with survivors, this episode is for you. So get a cup of coffee or your favorite latte, find a comfortable spot, and prepare to listen and learn. And also, too, don't forget to like, share, and follow Caveman and Counselor on your favorite podcast platform. And if you really love our show, consider supporting us on Patreon for early access to future episodes. Your support enables us to continue creating insightful content. And shout out to Josh, our number one Patreon um, supporter. Thanks, Josh. Hey, Greg, we've got two wonderful guests with us today. Um, we know both know both of them. Yes, we do. And Carol, we've known her a long, long time. Um, not she, because we call we're her old. Mama Carol for a reason. Not, yeah, not because we're old or anything. But Carol, you have been a clinician since 1985. Yes. And that's been a while. Yes. <laughs> I know you've been married 50 plus years. Going to be 60 <laughs> right? in September. Six, no, already? Jeez wow. Louise. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then, I mean um, that in a good way. Yeah. You've also been working in this field of sexual trauma in men, especially, you know, sexual abuse of, of boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you started a program out here where we live called It Happens to Boys Too, and you have an annual conference. Yes. Would you speak a little to your experience in this area? Uh, yes. I've been one of the first people that I studied with was Alice Miller. And she's amazing Mm -hmm. therapist, author. And she said, you know, think about you're driving down the street and the car cuts you off. And then you start driving and the car cuts you off again. And it's happened like three or four times. And it's speeding down the freeway. And then you see the CHP catch it, stop it. It's getting a ticket. And how do you feel? So everybody in the audience said, I feel good. (laughs) And she said, yeah, hurt people Uh hurt people. You feel good that they're being Uh hurt. And she said, that's just a little tiny example of what happens. When hurt people are hurt, (laughs) they want to hurt someone else. So they have a partner in that hurt. And that's really important to understand that. Mm -hmm. You're talking about people who molest children themselves are hurt. They're hurt in some way, not necessarily molested themselves. Usually they are, but hurt in some way, whether it's verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, there's hurt in their heart. Mm. And usually they will go after someone in the family who's the most vulnerable and the brightest. They don't go after the, the okay. victims. Right. Interesting. So uh, we also have with us... Daniel, um, 
Thanks for coming on. Daniel, I know you've been very involved and active in letting people know about about this issue. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. would you um, would you share? Uh, what brings you here today? Share us a little bit about your story. Share a little bit about your story, if you will. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in I grew up in Los Angeles. My parents actually were from out here. They grew up out here in the desert, and then uh, we moved. They moved to uh, Los Angeles, and that's where I was born. Um, uh, you know, my dad was a um, alcoholic and addict. Uh, he was a heroin addict, and and my mom. Uh, they were teens. They were my mom was sixteen, I think, when she had my brother, wow. and eighteen when she had me. So um, they were young young parents, and uh, and my dad was in in addiction a lot. Um, so when I was about five and a half years old, I, I was molested by two neighbors mm. and they, they preyed on me individually. Uh, and that's, that's first grade. And so when I was going to school, they would, you know, try to catch me somewhere in the alleyways or, or in the street mm-hmm. or the gas station down, down the street. And then, uh, um, they would individual time, different times that they would do it. So, um, so I kind of got very hyper vigilant about my surroundings at that time and, okay. and my age. And so I, I you know, I, I always say that's the beginning of my sporting, my, uh, my athletic career. It's because uh, <laughs> I, I started to learn, I learned how to run, you know, get you away, did. run pretty fast and climb trees and climb mm-hmm. on houses and, you know, go into spots, uh, you know, places, little spaces that they couldn't reach me. And, um, you know, so I, I was in survival mode for that, you know, that point on until I came into recovery to really. Um, figure out what I needed and, and what I needed to be a, a successful, you know, dad and husband and, and a son and, and just be a, a human being. So that's just a little bit about my story. I, I, I did get into recovery, uh, tried recovery. I, I'm alcoholic myself. Um, I'm also codependent. Um, I have a lot of surrounding issues around mm-hmm. all of this. You know, we have, I'm not just one, one label, so to speak, you know, I'm not just a survivor of, of that. I'm also, I'm also, uh, an adult child that, um, uh, you know, I, I have father wounds and I have mom, mother wounds. And, uh, so there's a, there's a, a lot of deep trauma that I have that are not necessarily just, just my sexual abuse. And there's, uh, uh my dad was very abusive. And so, um, surviving that, I understand and, that. yeah with witnessing him beat my mom up and, and, you know, I have a whole level of stuff on my dad that I had to work on. Uh, Mm -hmm. my mom is, she, my mom is a, uh, she, she's a codependent and enabler and and she's the type that she does, she won't show her emotions or she will, I never saw her cry, you know, or she never thought she, I I did see her one time cry Mm -hmm. that she didn't know that, but, um, she thought she didn't, she thought it was a, it wasn't good to represent that, you know, in Mm -hmm. that era. So, um, so I never, I was conflicted inside anyways, cause I didn't know about my own emotions and, and how to act on them. And I didn't have anybody to, to, uh, model that for me. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. And, um, Carol, you know, uh, I don't think people understand what's happening with this issue currently. Um, what's happening with the world regarding this issue of sexual, not just both sexual trauma, of course, but specifically sexual trauma with boys. Would you speak to that? Yeah, so one out of three girls and one out of four boys are sexually abused by the time they're 18. And I know we want to go beyond our small valley, but the numbers out here are staggering. I have some friends that are social workers, and they're carrying 50 cases each right now. And that's much more than they can handle. And that's an awful lot that's going on. And so people think that it's getting better, but every time we go speak somewhere, we find out that the numbers are more and more, and more and more children are being hurt. And during the pandemic, it was the first time on calls, you know, where you call in for an abuse, a hotline where you call in, that children were reporting Uh their own abuse. That was the first time in history that the numbers were that high that children were reporting their own abuse. Because during the pandemic, there was no one to have eyes on them. There was no one to see them. But that was also a win when you think about it, that children were now able to stand up and to say something. And somehow were getting the message that they could stand up. I see that as very positive. It is. 
positive, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Children are not having to rely on the unreliable adults around them, right? Right, because they're they're seeing... They're getting the message from other places. Right, they're seeing movies, they're hearing things, they're listening to podcasts, Mm -hmm. and they understand Mm -hmm. that there is help out there now. You know, in our our 15 years, we've dealt with thousands of people. We've put the message out to thousands of people who now put the message out to thousands mm-hmm. more who know there's help, which is why right. I do what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really wonderful. That's really really mm-hmm. great, Carol. Um, you know, I would like to specifically not not to just be real clear here, guys, to the audience. We're not saying one type of sexual abuse, well, boy versus girl, is worse because it's no. not. They're different. No. No. But would you specifically speak to either Danny or Carol? Would you, sp- I'm Danny, I'm going to call you everything, okay? That's fine. That's good. Dan- I don't, I don't Dan- mind Danny, that. I'm, Danny. I'm, I'm okay. So uh, would you please speak to the uh, how it's different for guys when they are sexually molested as children than it well, might be for women f- or girls? First, there's a lot of groups and help for women. And there's very, very little mm. help for men. So... Women are still seen as victims. So when a woman reports abuse, she doesn't feel like she's not a real woman because it's almost expected Mm. that sometime in her lifetime, there's going to be someone who's sexually assaulted her in some way, whether it's a Mm -hmm. brush of her breast or uh, sexual abuse. It's almost expected it's going to happen. But nobody expects it to happen to boys. And people have even told me, oh, boys can't be abused. I mean, that's how naive our society is. And so when it happens to a boy, he now feels like if I say that to someone, then I'm not a real man because I didn't protect myself. It should have never happened to me. But women don't feel that way. So you can imagine the shame that they feel and why it's so hard for them to come forward. Where women, Mm -hmm. if they come forward in a public way, they know they're going to get shamed. There's a lot of shaming of the victim in our society. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult to come forward in a public way. But even in their own families, they'll be more accepted than men, than boys will be. Will you speak to that, Daniel, from your perspective, how you saw that from a male perspective? Yeah. And that's the beauty of Mm -hmm. what we do with Carol, because she has the clinical side and her, the educational uh, pieces of that. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a survivor. I'm living right. proof of what I went through and and how I came out and um and I, and I'm I've actually known Carol for a long time. I've known of her. She she was she was my uh, my first wife's therapist and uh, God rest her soul. But um, my and so she knew of me and my kids and everything before I met I met her. Yeah. And so it, it was it was a. Uh, it's wonderful now. It was pretty scary then, but she's an awesome lady, uh, great, great mentor. Yeah, like, oh my God, what does she think of me? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm this guy. So, uh, but you know, uh, as as a man growing up as as a boy and a man, you know, uh, in um, I guess my my parents, my my dad and his brothers. He was one of eight brothers. All of them are alcoholics and, and addicts, and uh, um, there are no don't cry. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you you can't uh, you, you can't be wimpy. You can't you know you got to yeah. be tough and all this stuff. The stigma about being a man um, that we I couldn't allow. I couldn't use my feelings. I couldn't do anything. I had to be what they wanted me to be. Lots of you know the violence into that as well. Um, so I couldn't come out with that and. Uh, with anybody else because of what they would say to me or what they would put on me um, as far as being weak or it's my fault or they would uh, add to that as well. And, uh, but not only that, like my, my dad found out about it and he yelled at me and he told me to go in the house. And then when he, uh, when he, whatever he did, I went in the house and he came here. I was never to speak of that ever again, ever. That was it. So he yelled at you. Do you remember what he said? Yeah, he he told me. To, uh, well, he told me I'm in trouble. Get in the house, and uh, and I'll be in there, and you know, and I'll be in there to see you. And and it's like, okay, what did I do? You know. And how did he learn of it, Dan? Because um, he he saw me coming out of the the house next door, uh, at the neighbor, 
And then he asked me what, what, what had happened. Cause I was running out and then, uh, and I told him and he, he yelled at me hmm. for it. And I, I know that's his own stuff. I, sure. I, I, I realize that now I know I've done enough, mm-hmm. I've done enough research on all of this, uh, that I know why, why they are, you know, he was the way he was and, uh, and his reaction is, is his own shame. Uh, but then um, he did nothing with the neighbor. Uh, not to my knowledge. No. And Carol, do you think that would have been different had Danny been a Daniela coming out of the house? Do you think if her, his dad might have responded differently? I do. I think his dad probably would have gone over there and beat the guy up. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what, when you're saying, I think that really exemplifies when you're talking about, you know, we would see girls as a victim. Who need to be protected yes. as to where a boy somehow was supposed to do something. So I'd like to launch into the next thing. I, I it's, uh, it's not on my cue cards, but something I remember you talking about that I always love, Carol. And you said in the group that you work with, with men who were survivors of sexual abuse as a boy, like let's say, Danny, you were how old at that age? I was five and a half. So she, you would get a, a, a T-shirt for a five or six-year-old yeah. boy, oh, yeah. and you would put it up against the T-shirt of an adult male to really kind of have that experiential experience mm-hmm. of, oh, that, there's no way I could have protected myself. No. You know, yeah. when you hold up a T-shirt. Right. Uh, yeah. I've folded lots of those T-shirts over the years, and they're way smaller <laughs> than their dads, yeah, right? right? So there's no way that a boy could do that. Even a teenage boy, yeah. a, a little boy against a teenage boy. No. Or a teenage boy against a grown man. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. No. <clears throat> no. And we've and, had a lot of tears yeah. come that a great example. as a result of those T-shirts. Yeah. A lot of tears have come yeah. when a yeah. man realizes how little he was. Because they don't think about mm-hmm. it. They think they're full grown, you know, when they yeah. were five. <laughs> I know. In their mind, they think they're supposed to protect themselves and their mother and their sisters. And everybody. Yeah. You know, they're right. even told mm-hmm. by dad sometimes, you got to be re- yeah. watch out for yeah. the house, son, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm guilty of that, too. I tell my, you know, when I got a divorce, I said, okay, you're man of the house now, son. You're five years old, right? And it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, what am I thinking, you know? Yeah, so. right. exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Just a kid. Uh, Carol, uh, what are some of the common barriers? We talked about this that prevent boys from disclosing their experiences. You talked about not being believed. You talked about being um, ashamed. You talked about um, being told it was their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we create safe places for guys? How do we create safe places for men and boys? As you're hearing children call in, mm-hmm. how do we present, you know, have a safe place for people to go talk about this? Well, I think that the most powerful is to have male survivors in the room talking to whoever we're talking to. And like when we're speaking at a local high school, the kids would actually tell their friends when we were coming back to come see us, even though they weren't even in that class anymore. So they were sharing with their friends how important it was to hear us, and they'd bring their friends back. So there'd be extra kids in there because they knew Mm -hmm. that those kids were being abused and they weren't gonna tell anybody, but once they heard what was going on and that there was help available, then they they got help. And so having survivors there, having survivors there, having programs like like Jerry Moe from the uh, children's program, he's been working with Sesame Street and he has a little girl puppet who's, you know, growing up in an alcoholic home. So, that's what kids learn, you know, how there's other people like me out there. So maybe even Sesame Street and some of these other programs for children. Well, I, I've been to your uh, several of your um, symposiums. Mm-hmm. And always what hit me is it's just the numbers are incomprehensible. Yes. It's even really hard to grasp that it, it's that prevalent. Yes. And... Um, and I know that, especially our culture as males, are just don't talk about stuff like that. Yeah. Um, at some sense, they're just kind of a, living a life of denial of it. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's really interesting because I've I've had some counseling as well, and th- that question rarely gets asked. Yeah. And well, that part is really interesting that that that, that the therapist that, that should be informed of it. <laughs> so if they see ten people in one day, right? Mm-hmm. At least maybe two to three of them have been, probably a higher probability, have been molested as a child. We were speaking at a conference in Las Vegas for all the union places, 
and they have employee assistance people. And when we were done, Danny and I went to lunch, and this counselor came up and said, I've been a counselor for 20 years, and I pray every day that won't walk into my office. And I said, oh I'm God. sorry oh to tell you, but it walked into your yeah. office probably okay. every day, but you didn't ask the question. And I didn't want to right. shame right. him, you, but I, I felt like he needed to know that. So think of how he many therapists are not asking that question mm -hmm. and how much damage yeah. they're doing yeah. by not asking the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, I went through awareness programs and, and rehab before, and not once did that ever come up. Was yeah. there any intake on on what abuse or you know, that you may have suffered, what the home life was, or anything like that? It was yeah. all based around uh, addiction uh, and stuff until uh, at at, at uh, Betty Ford I actually got asked that specific question when I was working with the spiritual guidance counselor, mm -hmm. and he said, "Do you have any history of, of sexual abuse or, or abuse?" And uh, and so that's when I was directly asked that, uh, and and I answered yes, which uh, I normally wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Because of programming like Carol's, you know, on our on our form, at our at our counseling center, that is one of the first questions asked: Have you been, um, have you had sexual abuse? Yeah. Is there something about that you'd like to talk about? It's well, very important, boys and girls. Well, the other part of it too is is the the it's even less likely they would ask a male rather than they would ask a female. Yes. Y yeah. So it's just kind of there is obviously like it's inbuilt stigma, and the other thing because. The display Carol has with the, the small T-shirts, it's mind-boggling when you realize how small these kids are. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know as a, as a male, you don't really ever see yourself as a little kid. No. But it, it just, in, in, the, in what you had mentioned, the fact that somehow we could have, should have defended ourselves right. and not seeing the reality of like, no, you're just as defenseless as, as a five-year-old girl. Right. In some sense. So it's just... I kind of, when we have this conversation, I just kind of feel nauseous a little mm -hmm. bit because <laughs> yeah. it's so prevalent and it's, and especially for, for boys or men, it's not talked about mm -hmm. hardly all. And think no. about, so, think about I mean, coaches or fathers or teachers who are saying, be a man. And they're telling an eight year old, be a man. <laughs> he's not a man. He's a child. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I can't yeah. be a man. <laughs> Right. Great. But also you kind of hit it too, like a societal message that we get as men. Um, you know, doctors don't ask you, hey, can yeah. I touch you here? Right. Or are you okay with me touching you here? Or, right. or you know, you go get a colonoscopy. Oh. They don't oh. say, hey, are you, uh, are, do you have anything that, right. that, you know, we need to know that might be evasive <laughs> for that you might want to do? Yeah. So when we do, we used to do um, the, the SIM students, the, you know, the doctors and yeah. the nursing students. Um, and we tell them that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, it, Ironically, I have a lot of stories about how yeah. my positive uh, um, uh, experiences in that being tr negative and positive being treated by people who are kind of kind of neglect you. And then there's people that mm -hmm. actually care for you, uh, body and mind and, mm -hmm. and, and, and as, as a respect as a person. So, uh, you know, as a grown adult, uh, it was the first time in my life that I was treated with a by a doctor and he asked me. Are you okay taking your shirt off? Are you are wow. you okay? Are, wow. Do you feel safe? Mm -hmm. uh, me touching you. I'm going to touch you. This is you know this is going to feel cold. Right. This is what it's going to feel like. Telling me everything that he was going to do, and that was wow. Probably the um, that was the most uh, respectful, uh, heartfelt, and, yeah. uh, and tearful experience that I've ever I ever I witnessed I because I never really had want. that before by any man. Well, well that's crazy because what an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, yeah. Just cool. ask. But what yeah, a common absolutely. thing that the doctor will do for us, we, we female. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm right, usually, right. Uh, those are common questions that I get. Are you, this is going to be cold or this is what I'm doing next. You know, we go in for gynecological appointments and things like that. We're guided with yeah. cold, what's happening. Yeah. You well, know. I had a story about that because it, it was an unusual looking doctor and it was, <laughs> it was just a situation that, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect it. And he, and he just, he explained to me, he, you know, we talked for a while, like 15 minutes almost. And then I'm going like, well, how come he's not ready to treat me or what, you know, let's get this over with or whatever, because this is what I'm used to. And, and, and he said, he just explained to me, he says, you know, he says, I can't fix you. He says, but together we can fix you. He says, but wow. I, I need you to trust mm -hmm. me and, and feel safe right. that we can work together to do that. Mm -hmm. And I had never had any doctor uh, tell me that ever before. So that was, mm -hmm. that was kind of a spiritual experience for me uh, yeah. witnessing that. Uh, 
Greg, you said something that really caught me um, when we were talking about sexual abuse of boys, and you said this is kind of making you nauseous. Mm -hmm. And I think that is speaks a little bit to the difference between sexual abuse for boys and girls. Mm -hmm. When we talk about girls, we're like, yeah, this happens to girls. It's terrible. When we talk about boys, there's a different physiological response, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does feel um, somehow worse, you know? Of course it's not, mm -hmm. but somehow, you know, society sees it as worse. What do you think of that, Dan? Um, I, I, you know, really, uh, I, my personal feeling is, is that I have, I have total empathy for both. I know. I mean, I think it's the same, it, it is the same feeling for me, no matter, regardless, and especially if it's a child, but, but sexual assault or sexual abuse to, to anybody or the men, uh, especially in, in my case was more dismissed, like, Oh, you're, you're okay. Rub it off, you know, brush it off. And, 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 mm -hmm. you know, here you are. And, and I'm, I'm supposed to be okay with that. Um, you know, and, and not talk about it which I need to, you know, for those out there, you got to, right. you know, and, and once, uh, you know, and I was told once I open that door, I can't, I can't stop. I need to keep going and right. I need to keep working on it. And, and, you know, for me, it's been 23 years, uh, since I've been, uh, started work doing my healing and, and, uh, in my sobriety, mm -hmm. um, I did everything together. And so I, uh, for, for me, it was very important to talk about that these trauma pieces that I have and the sexual abuse was a big, big piece because uh, it led to a lot of uh, a lot of my codependence, which was mm -hmm. very destructive behavior that I have. So yeah. for myself. Yeah, because we know codependence in our codependence episode, it does kill. Yeah. It can yeah. kill. People have died from codependency. Yes, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Do you think that for, for when boys are, are sexually abused, do you see it as emasculating? Um, oh, like taking away my masculinity yes. and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Would you speak I, to I that? Do. Um, yeah, I, I, because I, for me, it took, it took all my self-esteem. Uh, I had no, uh, I had to even overachieve on everything to try to make up for things I felt about myself. And, um, and that was really never good enough. It never was, uh, it was a struggle. Um, I didn't feel tough enough. I didn't feel cause like, because of the same, um, the same thing about being a little kid and, and I should have been able to defend myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And that question really comes up all the time. It's like, I should have been able to do that. Inside you know, of I, you? Inside still? of me. Yeah, absolutely. Today? So that that's is my puppy. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. They're good. Uh -huh. They're um, good. Mm -hmm. so yes, definitely. I, I felt um, and then also on the other part of that is, is I felt I had to, um, to, uh, prove my sexuality. Mm. Okay. And that my promiscuity being a promiscuous, mm -hmm. uh, with women and, 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 you know, mm -hmm. becoming female dependent, uh, as well mm -hmm. in that, in that struggle. Um, so it was a very, it's very confusing and, and, and that's a good question that you it did was. ask that. Yeah. Okay. Because it, it is, uh, uh, and I think that is again, societal puts our, our, you know, men supposed to be strong. They're supposed to take care of their family. They're supposed to, you know, die for their country. When they're five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but they don't but, tell, they don't say you got to take care of yourself, you know, to take care of everybody else. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I think that it doesn't necessarily take away the masculinity, but it creates toxic masculinity. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. shutting down, not being able to share feelings, becoming bigger than life, you know, risky sports, you know, strong, acting like, yeah, no, boys can't be abused. I was on the DA's committee for uh, child abuse, and we we're starting out the It Happens to Boys program, and the sheriffs we're sitting there and said, well, Carol, how do we get these boys to open up? And I said, I don't know. How do I get you to open up? And the, they, <laughs> they backed up like, wait. <laughs> they couldn't get their chairs. Bring in the heat. Bring in the truth. They couldn't get their chairs away from me fast enough. Yeah. Because yeah. They're, they didn't want to talk about it, you know. And I think something really important to talk about is that kids that can't open up and talk about their abuse, if you look at the ACE study, the ACE study for, yeah. from Kaiser mm -hmm. and uh, 
from the Center for Disease Control. The kids who don't get to talk about their abuse end up with a lot of psychological, learning disabilities, physiological issues. If they could have talked about it and got support, they probably wouldn't have those. That's my belief, is that they wouldn't have had those same issues. Yeah, the ACEs is adverse childhood um, experiences. Childhood, mm-hmm. childhood experiences, yes. right. I remember something really from the, the seminar that we went to maybe years ago, something that John Branshaw said mm-hmm. that was really impactful on me, and not only about sexual abuse, but kind of abuse in general is yes. about sharing how they, they basically are sharing their shame. Yes. Yeah. You know, that they were an abused child, mm-hmm. you know, so they carry the shame with it. Right. And then, and I, maybe I have it wrong, I hope not. But they trans by by abusing the the, the uh, child, they're sharing their shame with them. Yeah, that's Somehow, what I was saying earlier. That some kind of weird that hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah, there we mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And John Bradshaw, he wrote the um, Dance of Shame, didn't he? He the, uh, no, it's a uh, uh, healing the shame that binds you. Healing the shame that yeah. binds that's you. That's right. There. Healing the shame yeah. that binds you. Thank yeah. you. And. and uh, that's been helpful to me, just kind of looking a lot of it. There you go. <laughs> homecoming. Yeah, right. This is yeah, the best one. Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Reclaiming your inner childhood. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's it's interesting, Danny, that it's like how your dad dealt with it is just told you don't mention this ever again. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah. you when your parent says that to you, that's like you carry that through a lifetime. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, I'm the problem, you know, yeah, uh, pretty exactly. <laughs> I'm the problem. So, yeah. uh, so that really kind of like cloud, that cloud yeah. hanging over me wherever mm-hmm. I go is, is that I, right on you. Yeah. It's on yeah. me. And then, and so I'm labeled and, and yeah. so, so that there, really reinforced any thought you had that it was your fault or responsibility. No, really reinforced. No. And I didn't feel protected, you know, mm-hmm. um, no, not at I, all. I didn't, I didn't feel like uh, I was validated or protected. Yeah. So, um, but luckily, I you know I've done a lot of work, so I know what that's about. Um, it's all about his shame and right. his you know yeah. his, his shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and do we have any movies out there? Any Hollywood movies about this? We have about girls, uh, but do we have any about boys? Spotlight. Yes, there was Spotlight. that one. Of, yeah, st- Spotlight. Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Okay, they won the Academy Award, right? Exposed oh, the Catholic priest. Where I live, I live in a home. Oh, okay, yeah. exposed the Catholic priest. Okay, and you know. But, uh, for for younger audiences as well, there's uh, the perks of uh, being a wallflower. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Have you ever have you ever heard seen that movie or have you heard I have of not. it? Okay, it's the perks of being a wallflower. Um, and I, I can't remember the character. The character is uh, uh, Hermione from uh, Harry Potter. Um, okay. Okay. She's one of the main characters, and then the other boy is, is uh, I think it's the guy from. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember. Anyhow, but he he. Uh, I was watching it when my daughter told me. She says, "Dad, you know, you always we watch all your movies all the time growing up. So you got to watch some of my movies, you know." So she, we watch this movie. So I'm here with my daughter. Mm-hmm. We watch this movie, and um, and the kids are in school, and and the 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 boy in the main character in the movie, uh, Percy Jackson. That's the movie he was in. Um, but the boy that was in the movie, uh, there's a there's a, a scene in the cafeteria where they are picking on a friend of his, and then he blacks out and he just beats them all up. And when my daughter, we were sitting there and I was watching that and, and I just had tears rolling down my eyes. My daughter goes, what's wrong, dad? What's wrong? And I, and I said, that was me. It's exactly what happens to me is I would black out and I'd beat up people because they would either pick on me or they're picking on somebody. And I would just, boom, I blacked out physically and then get, become real violent and, and I'd handle it. And, um, and so that his, he was, he was molested, you know, as a child. And then this is what is coming on after that. And so, yeah. And I have heard that from other men or I've worked with survivors of sexual abuse, childhood abuse, uh, that they do have that experience so often where they have violence in their background. Um, Mm -hmm. and they, they describe that blackout. Um, and it is, I think shame Mm -hmm. is, there's nothing that doesn't number on your brain like shame. Right. You know, when when that comes up, we do anything to defend against it. Well, well, John Lee, John Lee told me when I worked with him on, on my rage, which is that is part of the piece of that is it's the rage part of that. Um, he says that that you get flooded with the the endorphins and the adrenaline mm-hmm. and um, it actually acts like a, a, a drug and it just shuts you down. Mm-hmm. And so okay. he says that's the overflowing uh, of the rage. 
Hey, Dan, Dan, what were some of the um, factors that influenced your decision uh, to disclose your experiences and seek help? Uh, were there any specific? Uh, well, I know that Carol and her 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 program with that was specifically helpful to you, but was there anything within the, the, the therapy that was helpful? You've described a couple of things. Anything else that was specific help specifically helpful to you recovering, and what specifically brought you to the, the uh, point of deciding you needed to work on um, to talk to somebody about this? Uh, well, in 1999, I got I got remarried again to a gal who was like 15 years, the boss's daughter. She was like 16 years younger than me. And, um, you know, it, it seemed like a good idea because I'm, I'm, I'm a very shallow person. So she had all the, the right stuff. Uh, you know, she's, she's, uh, uh, you know, blonde hair, green eyes, and we get uh, from, it. We get it <laughs> from, from, from Tennessee. So she talked with that draw, and you know, and mm -hmm. so I, that was it. I could work with anything. That's perfect, right? The outside stuff. Uh, so that started falling apart pretty, you know, pretty quickly. And so uh, then the question was, uh, you know, is accusatory that you're? It's the problem is, is you're an alcoholic, you know, and um, and and you know, my my best solution is, is I'm going to show you I'm not. I'm going to put myself in rehab, right? <laughs> Um, oh, good thank, solution. Thank, yeah, yeah. Thank God I'm an alcoholic, right? Uh, I I put myself into rehab, and that's when I, my my journey started in that, and then uh, I also started learning about my sexual abuse. But I I learned so much. Um, they painted the picture for me perfectly because uh, the family program. I got to see my role in my family growing up in the alcoholic home and an addictive home and the, just the dysfunctional family. Um, my roles, because I played multiple roles in that as a child, um, and then how it affected me growing up as an adult, and how if, eventually it affected me being a parent and being a husband, and and mm -hmm. and then uh, and then on my my sexual abuse as well. So um, that's kind of the start of, of what I did. Um, and what what ended up happening is when I went, to, I did the work with the spiritual guidance counselor, and he asked me about if I was sexually abused, and and, and I said yes, and. And the, the sky didn't, you know, the ground didn't open up and swallow me and everything. It was no big deal. <laughs> right. He uh, he said, okay, we'll work with that. And um, so they put together an aftercare program for me. Uh, so that so so Betty Ford kind of gave me just just a glimpse and an opening of what I really needed to work on in my life. Mm -hmm. The things, the areas that I, I needed to educate myself on and to kind of the do my research. The trauma on. driving your addiction, your disease yes. process. Yeah, yeah, a like lot, a lot of trauma, and so um, I also I so part of my my uh, uh, my uh, um, care after was to go to uh, to the Barbara Sinatra Center. So I actually huh. started my uh, my it was an AMAC group, uh, adults molested as children. So I started my uh, mm -hmm. healing there in that group, and. Um, and it was a, a co-ed group, and um, mm -hmm. ultimately uh, it, it ended up being nine years I was in that group, and ultimately I was the only co-ed in that group. <laughs> so, very <laughs> was, different. Uh, yeah, um, men would come and they would leave, and I couldn't get them to come back. And they just once they got close, they you know it would they just shut mm -hmm. down. And um, <clears throat> and uh, I didn't want to be like that, so I knew I needed to, to. I needed to stay there is what I needed to do. So ultimately, that group um, they changed their format and days and everything. So I actually the the girls elected me to pick to go find a therapist to um, <laughs> to actually take our group, and so I did that. And I found a uh, uh, Lonnie Long was the therapist, mm -hmm. and, and oh, she only Lonnie. Yes. she only did uh, she only did women. And I, I, I told her, I'm part of the women, <laughs> right. I, I assure you, I, I'm okay, okay, I'll be part of the women. We're, we've been together six years, right. you know, and I said, uh, or, or a few years, I think it was probably three or four mm -hmm. years by that time. And so she gave it a try, and um, and we were with her nine years We, we uh, in that group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually did, I was in a men's group as well for recovery, for my, my addiction part, and then that was my my group for my my trauma sides and i dealt with multiple traumas in that in that group and uh the beauty of that was is that you know at first it was pretty scary because i'm the only man in there right and and the women in that are all abused by men right you know but the only common thing is is i was abused by a man as well um so we had i had to learn I, i'm still friends with some of the women and we talk you know pretty frequently but um you know i, I learned uh from the other side, I got to learn mm -hmm. how to have a non-sexual intimacy with women, and had to learn. <laughs> I got to learn. Yeah. Um, I got to learn how to do stuff. 
you know, Carol, I want to ask you what coping mechanisms or strategies do you deem, deem harmful, actually, and what do you deem helpful for men dealing with sexual trauma? Well, what we deal with is we have a, a set of exercises that we do, and the first one is doing your trauma timeline, because once you do your trauma timeline, then you understand what you're dealing with. And we just take one thing at a time because so many people want to just deal with the whole issue and get it over with. And that usually re-victimizes someone and triggers them to have emotional So I think upset. you're saying something that's helpful is to work with a therapist to, do, to develop a timeline yes. of the trauma and then work with those things individually, not all at once. Not all at once. And especially in our group, we make sure that Survivors don't tell all the details because even in their own private therapy, if you get too much caught in the details and you trigger yourself, and then it takes a long time to get your emotions regulated. So right. once we deal with the trauma timeline, then we work on emotional regulation, which would embody mindfulness, meditation, mm -hmm. breathing exercises, mm -hmm. holding ice cubes, having a cold drink, taking a cold shower, eating a popsicle. Some people walk around with ice cream with them all the time in case they get mm -hmm. a panic attack that they can okay. have something cold. And that usually shocks your system into regrouping re oh, and regulating. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that they can do to help themselves. So really dependent dependent on where they are in their recovery. They're early on, very reactionary. Yes. You're saying you have these these kind of exercises, things that they can implement right now. Right um, now. To kind of get them out of it as right. to where they have, um, if they might be further along, they would be using different coping mechanisms, correct? Right. So, and especially if they're in a relationship, to be able to communicate yes. with their partner that they're triggered, to be able to understand what a trigger is and right. what part of their brain is reacting. And when they're flooded with emotions and the amygdala is firing, if they yes. haven't dealt with their emotions or their trauma yet, the amygdala fires and they feel like it's happening right now. It doesn't feel like a memory. It right. feels like whatever trauma is, it's happening right now. It would be important for the partner then. Yes. To know, to not flood that person. Right. To, you know, to know what, what that looks like if the person's dissociating or getting flooded so they can take a step back and give them some space. Yeah, especially if somebody's a codependent partner and they want to fix them Very or common. help them. Then mm -hmm. they want right. to tell me, tell me the whole story. Tell me what yeah. happened to you. Tell me, yeah. tell me, tell me. And they're like, no, I don't yeah. want to yeah. talk about yeah. it. You know? So educating the partner and understanding that they're not a therapist and actually the talking part really re-traumatizes the individual. It's better for the individual to work directly with the clinician. Oh, there goes my puppy. It's better right. for them to work directly with a clinician dealing with that trauma. And giving them some space to regroup, to to get their emotions down. You know, if you're emotional, if you're triggered and your emotions are real high, your like prefrontal my puppy cortex. Right now, I hope we're getting this on. I hope we're getting <laughs> yeah. that we have a triggered high amygdala right now, right here, because somebody's at the front door. Go take care of that. That's what that looks like, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when your amygdala is firing and all the chemicals are going in your brain, the, mm -hmm. all the cortisol and the adrenaline, your prefrontal cortex, which is the logical, rational part of the brain, is not working. And mm -hmm. so all you're doing is firing, firing. And if you're trying to talk about something serious or talk to a partner, it's not going to go very well until yeah. you can regroup, regroup settle yourself down, and that takes mm -hmm. some time. And so many yeah. partners want to follow that person around the room, talk to me, right. talk to me, let's figure this out right now, let's settle this now, I want to know, I want to fix it, mm -hmm. I don't want you, and then they want to mm -hmm. run out the door because sure. they can't handle it anymore. Or they retaliate. Or they retaliate and get yeah. mad or mean or yeah. yell, yeah. Or, yeah. and yeah. then they feel guilty, and you go through that whole cycle over and over again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's interesting as we we're just talking about this, my puppy who really well, did just have his amygdala flip for a minute. Something's going on outside, perhaps a gardener, mm -hmm. <laughs> somebody really scary is out right. there for him, Amazon man. 
because um, he's, he's pretty young. You know, what I'm doing right now is what we might do is get a human touch to calm yes. you down. If it's a safe human touch, especially yes. in sexual abuse, you have to be careful of that. Petting a, petting a dog, a cat, things like that can be very helpful in regulating. Mm -hmm. So having yeah. a list of things to help. Holding a pillow, you know, putting yes. on music that's comforting. Mm -hmm. uh, the smells in the room, you know, because the triggers come from all of our senses, smells, touch, taste, sounds, and just hearing something that's calming can calm you down. Music is very healing. So music is really a great way of, of reaching yourself and helping yourself calm yeah. down. And it's quick. And it's quick. It's, it's a really, quick. It's very yeah. quick. And I don't like anybody coming to therapy or a group without leaving with tools, even if mm -hmm. it's their first mm -hmm. session. Yeah, especially if it's their first session. Right. That's great, Carol. You do mm -hmm. such good work out there. And I do think if you are a survivor of sexual trauma and you're going to a therapist and they're just having you talk about it and talk about it without any tools, that isn't helping you. If you feel like it's not helping, it probably isn't. So right. and you don't want to keep re specializing. Right. You don't want to keep retelling the story over and over and over again. Right. You want right. to take exactly. it from where you are now. So that's the next thing that we do is where are you now? Where do you want to go? What are your goals? How are we going to reach your goals? You know? right. And then tools to put those in perspective and see where they want to take them, themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. growing yourself back up. Right. Because Thank people you. who were abused at a young age didn't get to grow up. Right. It's like being an alcoholic. If you started drinking when you were 12, emotionally, you're still 12. 12 exactly. You might physically and chronologically mm -hmm. be 30, but emotionally, you're still 12. Yeah. And it's the same with sexual abuse survivors. When they get into a situation where they're emotional, they revert to being 12. Yeah. So, Carol, what signs should a parent look out for as signs of sexual trauma or abuse in boys? So, first thing is they don't want to take showers or they want to take a 45-minute shower because they can't wash off enough of the dirt, you know, the shame. So that's something really important to look for. And I know a lot of teenagers don't like to take showers, but this is extreme. They don't want to get undressed, even if the doctor, they don't want to go to the doctor. They don't want to get undressed in front of their parents, in front of a doctor. They are very uh, apt to be standing with their pelvis tucked in and their buttocks out because they're hiding their genitals. They're gonna wear clothes that are covering themselves up. They often stand with their hands in front of their genitals or, or sit with their hands in front of their genitals. And they're not even consciously aware of it. I, I point that out to people during our session. Did you realize that? And what are your hands telling you? And when they get in touch with that, they're like, oh, the hands are trying to protect me, protect me from somebody hurting me. And then you've got to watch for the grades falling. A student who's a good student getting good grades, all of a sudden the grades fall. Their friendships start dropping off. They might start using drugs and alcohol. So again, these things are common with young people. But when you are watching, was this a kid that was different before and all of a sudden now they're different? Are they very isolated? Are they keeping to themselves? It's hard for them to answer questions. So a lot of the body image, the body posture, the unwillingness to talk, the grooming, a lot of those things people chalk up to being a teenager or everybody does that, but they're not really paying attention to how their child was and how they are now. And what happened in between? Yeah, and a lot of that is good advice, just in general. When mm -hmm. children start to change, have problems, taking a look at that, and something might be happening. Something, something might be happening. Well. Yeah, exactly. Right. Thank you. I'd like to ask just two questions. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. One is, so you're male, and and whether you you have sus suspect. Because I imagine sometimes that you don't even can't accept that reality that it happened to you. What's this? What's the process? What's the first steps? What? Where does Great someone question. turn? Because mm -hmm. from what yeah. you've talked about, you know, there's like this inherent kind of freaks everybody out and they push away from the table. I mean, so what's the process? Um, you know, you know, for me, I I, I take time if I'm working with I, I work with men and I. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm not their therapist, or but I work with them on a lot of different levels. The codependency seems to be the really heavy one that really comes out of all of this. Um, but I, um, I, I get their, I get the background. Um, I kind of do the research into them, and then I kind of, uh, I, I kind of play it back to them of what what I think that I heard or what they told me, and and see if it's clear. And then. Um, I, I try to get them to a point of where the feelings are mm-hmm. because that's the emotional sobriety is what I have and my tears, but, but the audience, they see me cry. Um, mm-hmm. It's not hurtful tears now, you know, it's different tears. It's, it's grateful. There's some sadness sometimes, but, but I sure. need to express that because you know, that's there. I can't deny that anymore. When I do, that's where the rage and the, and the anger starts coming up. If I, if I don't allow myself to have those, Absolutely. Uh, that emotional stuff. So, um, and then when I work with them in and I, and I show them the compassion on that and, and show my vulnerability, then they open up a little bit more too. So it, it's okay that they can tell me these things that, that they want. And the biggest thing is, is the father wound, uh, the commonly that I come across with men first is the father wound. And I get them to recognize the father wound, you know, where they minimize, we, uh, Claudia Black, I learned that, uh, she, you know, we minimize, we rationalize and we discount. Okay, that's my coping mechanism, and that's what I what I go by. If I, you know, if I'm from a dysfunctional family or background, those are my three mechanisms that I do. You know, I I, 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 I rationalize, minimize, and I discount. So, I point that out to them about how they are rationalizing and minimizing and discounting the lack of affection or acknowledgement that they got from their their father, their their role model, and. Um, and then when I get to that point, you know, like they're either the fathers never hugged them, never, you know, the discovery is, is that they, the father never hugged them, never told them that they loved, you know, loved them and um, never showed them that affection that they really wanted as a child. But they minimized and they, they did all these things to say, make an excuse for dad. Yeah, well, he was a worker. Dad wasn't, he wasn't like that. He, he wasn't provided. Like this. He, he did provided. All those kinds he did of, he all provided. these things, you know, what is that a human doing, right? That's John yeah, Bradshaw. Right. I said, so. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. He can still show you that he loves you and he can care mm-hmm. about you because as boys, we need that. I'm going to tell you, I'm a man and I'm, I'm here to tell you that I needed that and mm-hmm. I never got that. You know, I had, and I, uh, it affected me being a dad too, because I b- became a, a drill sergeant. I, I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't know how to have the compassion and yeah. empathy. So that is, a, um, to work with men on that level and to get them pointed out to certain things that they're not seeing. And then they realize it when they realize it, that's when the tears come. And then they understand that there's more to the things that it's not just addiction and it's not just the behavior. There's more to it that needs to be addressed uh, and not to be afraid or uh, to be ashamed to let it out and to open it out, yeah. uh, open it up. Uh, John Bratch always said, was it, uh, you can't fix it unless you come out, you got to come out, you know, you can't, you you can't hide so i guess my question too is so if just someone out out in the ethernet listening to this podcast yeah and kind of thinking like well i might have been what would be the first step to contact a counselor to where, where do you suggest they turn um well you had the journey of going to to rehab and yeah just ironically they just happen to come up yes <laughs> someone yeah. asks you the right question exactly right? And, and i'd say if that's your strategy is someone just you have, waiting till someone asks you the right question you're yeah. going to be really disappointed oh absolutely because it's a- absolutely. like we just said earlier they just don't ask that question so here's yeah. someone that that maybe they have maybe and they haven't because i imagine through a period of time that there's like a huge denial to it and i imagine drinking and using drugs and trying to alter your it's just trying to run away from that, that truth that happened to you. So, uh, so someone out there just like ha- struggling with drugs and alcohol or that, or that secret, what, what's the first step? I, I would say, you know, either reach out to a, a therapist or a life coach or, or somebody in that uh, area, or if they're struggling with uh, uh, addiction in the family or their own addiction to maybe reach out into AA or, or Al-Anon and kind of get a start into that, into that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that's just, and I tell the guys that I work with, I goes, you know, you got multiple stuff. So you need right. AA, you yeah. need AA, you need Al-Anon, you need codependence anonymous. Right. You need, you know, so I tell them if you're not working on your whole self 
and the individual things that you have, then you're going to, you're going to, you're going to miss something and you're, you're going to struggle more. So, um, I, I, I think whatever they're, if they're questioning, I need help or I want to know, then find something common for them that they're going to relate to would probably be a counselor or, or a therapist. Yeah. I mean, and the other part is, is that, um, is there any certificate? I guess I could ask that question for Carol. Is there any certification for that that type of therapist? Or well, yeah. Well, I'll step in for Carol on that okay. one. Yeah. You know, I think you'd want to look for a therapist uh, who, on their website, might say something about working with survivors of sexual abuse. Yeah. I think yeah. anybody, you know, whether they say male or female, I think if they have that on their on their um, website, it means that they're going to be open to mm-hmm. hearing that. That's really important. Um, I think would, would be very useful. Um, yeah. Last but not least, before we go, uh, I just want to ask you a couple more questions, Dan. Um, sure. You know, what would you want to say to the listener out there, someone who is a survivor, who is or is not a survivor of sexual trauma? Mm-hmm. What would you want to say to the person who's not a survivor? And what would you want to say to the person who is a survivor? Um, well, for one, um, learn about this, uh, this subject. Um, and I, and I think, you know, it's a trauma piece, uh, learn about this because you're going to know somebody or come across somebody that's going to be a survivor. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It happens to me. i see it all the time and I work with men. So, uh, that's a big, a big, big piece is to, as to approach it in that sense is that, you know, somebody that you're working with that work could be, you know, so how to just to operate on, on that kind of a level. And then for the, for the people that are, and are, are looking for kind of uh, help, um, you know, I used to be, I used to feel shame that I, I couldn't, uh, uh, I was so shameful that I, I didn't want to get help. You know, I, I, I was going to refuse it and, 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 and that, but I, I would say, go ahead and do it because the only person that's ashamed is me. There's nobody else out there that is, is judging you for this or, or, or anything else. I stand in my own way. And, uh, and, and I'm living proof of this is that I, once I started and I didn't stop, um, the freedom and the way I view things and, and, and my abuse and, and my relationship with my dad and all of that stuff um, has kind of diminished as far as the hurt goes. I can understand it now on an educational level, on a personal level, it still hurts but it doesn't consume me anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, I don't need to cover that up with, uh, with, you know, substance or, or behaviors. Um, so I, that's kind of what I, I would say, you know, go ahead and take that, take the, the, the step and, and you, you know, it's, a, it was a reward. So please, if you, if you can do that. Uh, Carol, what would you want to say to a listener, whether or not they are a survivor of sexual abuse, what would you want them to know about sexual trauma in boys? It's the most underreported issue that there is. Nobody really wants to talk about it. And what people don't realize is it affects all of us because number one, it costs our society billions of dollars a year and people don't think about that. And oftentimes when we try to talk about the emotional trauma, what's happening to the individual, what's happening in relationships and families, they like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then we say, well, yes, but this is costing you money. And they're like, how how so? What do you mean? You know, I said, well, the money that it costs for DUIs, you know, the money it costs for road rage, the money it costs for people to go to rehab, the money it costs for domestic violence charges, for prison, for all these things that you don't think about. But when people don't get help, they rage because all those feelings are stuck in their stomach. And the more you don't deal with your feelings, the more you push them down, then you get sick. So we're paying for medical costs. People get spastic colon, colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcers, all these things from pushing those feelings down. So that's a big issue. A lot of relationship issues because relationships are very scary for a survivor. So there's a lot of divorces, a lot of child abuse happening in their own families. A lot of survivors don't 
sexually abuse their children, but hurt people hurt people. So they may yell at them, they may shame them, they may be judgmental of them, not because they want to, just because when they're triggered, they don't realize what they're doing and it just comes out. So when people realize this is costing you a lot of money and it affects everybody. So whether you are a survivor or not, and we always say this when we're on any show or any interview, is if it's not you, it could be your kids. If it's not your kids, it could be your nephews. If it's not your nephews, it could be your best friend's child. It could be somebody you teach. It could be somebody you treat if you're a doctor. Trust me, you will know someone. And if you get the education and you understand it and you're not judgmental, you can help someone. And that one person will help another person and it just trickles down. And that's why it's so important. All of us are educated. All of us understand it. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. This is such an important topic. Um Obviously, yeah, a topic yeah, we don't talk about him enough. Yeah. And something that's happening, you get a group of 20 guys, you know, you're going to have four or five of those guys yeah. were molested as children. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I don't know how many people on a football team. Do you know anything about football? Yeah, I think there's 52. So there's- On a football team? Yeah, there. But there's only like there's only like a few that there are like 32 that are eligible to play. But there's a whole, there's a big team. Okay. Yeah. So we're so. going to look at about 10 to 12 of those guys who were yeah. sexually molested yeah. as children. Yeah. Yeah, there's one more piece I want to talk about, which is what if you were sexually molested by your father? Because yeah. I have had men and talked to men who were sexually molested by their father. Um, and so they can't really go to him for protection. But you talked about you know, needing your your dad's love and um, yeah. your dad's validation. And I'll never forget uh, somebody I talked, I listened to, he was presenting on sexual abuse and he talked about his childhood sexual abuse by his father and he was very close to his father throughout his childhood. And his dad always called him son. Yeah. Dad always called him son. And when he was 17 or 18 or so, he had a girlfriend, the, the child was molested and he his dad wanted to party one night as he called it. And the son finally refused and felt he could refuse. And he said, from that day forward, his dad stopped calling him son. Yeah. He looked at him, used his first name, and said, all right, then, he used a different tone. And in that moment, he withdrew his love yeah. from his son. So for those people who are being molested by their fathers, have been molested by their fathers, guys, women, whatever it is, mm -hmm. we all need our parents' validation and affection. And to risk losing that yeah. is really tough, but it's important to know that um, you know you can get recovery and uh, move forward, and it's important for your families. So I wanted to mention our conference is coming up March 8th. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, our conference is coming up March 8th. It's going to be at St. Margaret's Church in Palm Desert uh, right. from 830 to 5. Our keynote speaker is Dave Pelzer, who wrote A Child Called It. And John Lee and Jerry Moe, who deals with children and families. And Daniel will be there, and I will be there. And also a man named Robert Stone, who was a person who came forward against a doctor at a university. And he was the one who made the case, and the doctor got fired and sent to jail. Oh, and after he came forward, a thousand other men came forward, too. Wow. So wow. His, story was a, his story was in the paper. He's a local man. And he'll be talking about what happened to him oh, and why he decided to tell. Well, please make sure that you put that, that we put that on the link. Okay, mm -hmm. we'll make sure that Chloe has it in there for us, uh, for anybody who's interested in attending. Will that be virtual as well or only? Uh, at the um, moment, it's going to be in person, but we'll okay. see what we can do. <laughs> okay, great. So thank you so much for being with us, Danny. Greg, yeah. any final question for Dan? No, not, not at all. I just want to thank you very much because I know this is very difficult to share. Yeah. And well, not anymore, huh, Dan? I, I, I'm used to it. I, you know, I, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, okay. people, you know, it needs it needs to be. Yeah. I, I need I to mean, be an example. You know, I have to be an, an example, example. Of, of what what this is. And um, mm -hmm. and on what you just said about, about you know, your dad, the very person that is supposed to protect you um, and abuses you. And um, and then you're caught in this. Um, you're like you're stuck because of that stigma that I need this. Uh, I want this love and I want this to work, but then I'm getting abused. And and um, 
you know, I, I wasn't abused by my dad, but uh, uh, mentally and emotionally and physically I was abused sure. by him. So yeah. in a sense, that's still the same for me. Mm-hmm. Um, how could this, how could he be doing that to me? Right. Um, so right. yeah, I have to separate what I had to do is separate myself from, from that and do like, uh, well, the, the person that's sick is sick. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, if I wasn't there, then it would do it to somebody else. Right. Okay. Yeah. And hurt so people that do hurt people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be the premise of what I, I would do. And then I have to, I have to learn how to take care of myself, uh, do the do what I need to do to um, uh, heal the, the the pieces that I have uh, that are wounded, mm-hmm. and I can still not I can still love a person and maybe you know like I love my mom and I love my dad. Okay, am I angry with him? Yes. I, am I furious with him? Yes. But I loved him, so I can still love him and still not want him to abuse me or not let him abuse me mm-hmm. and still. Uh, uh, be okay with myself but that's the hard part okay the hard part is to is to be able to love yourself and and to be able to set that boundary um and and it's easier for me to do that now um that you know it it takes it takes work because it's it's not it's not uh common you know it's not something that i would normally would do so it, it feels uncomfortable when you're doing it but you have to keep doing it and take care of yourself Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Caveman and Counselor, where we bring you a unique blend of professional insights and practical perspectives on behavioral health. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to share this episode with others. And don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on future episodes. And hey, for those who'd like to support our work, we have a Patreon page where you can make a donation and gain access to exclusive content. Thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, take care of your mental health.